Welcome to Fred Basin's Diaries, read here by Clive Farahar. This is a book collector podcast sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. Fred Basin's Diaries, Part 5. Today, I broke fresh grounds with a huge gamble. I've paid £11 10 shillings cash, leaving myself with £2 capital for Of Human Bondage, first edition. I bought it at Hodgson's in Chancery Lane at their book auction. Willie is coming to tea next Friday. If he will autograph this copy, I'm sure I can get 20 quid for it. This is my highest one-book investment, and if I don't pull it off, I'm on the carpet proper bad. It's a clean copy, and it nearly went for 10 quid. I knew it was worth more and I stepped in and I put in the final 30 shillings. But that was my limit and I got it. Later, Willie obliged and he autographed it to me and I can't afford to keep it. It's the most precious thing I possess. Oh, I wish I was rich. But I need stock and a more varied nature and I need an holiday as well. Later, an American named Schwartz has paid me 21 quid for it this day and I'm a very happy man. But I'll never bid again at any book auction. Don't it break your bloody heart. Bloke asked for good books on birds and said he'd call back in an hour as he was going to have his hair cut and a shave. I found three nice clean books on British birds, one on pigeons and an handbook on birds' eggs. Bloke returned and asked if I was taking the bleeding rise out of him. He said birds. And I got birds. But he wanted women wanted the sexy novels and nude study books. Oh, to be a bookseller. Had lunch with John Drinkwater today and he autographed five of his books, which I've had in stock for three or four years. I put it to him squarely. They won't sell unsigned and if you'll autograph them, I can sell them in New York next week. Like a good pal, he obliged. And a nice lunch was thrown in as well. Well, thrown in ain't quite the way to put it, as it was poshly served up and not thrown at me. He said, but one thing I think worth recording, and I hope I got it okay. I just couldn't make a note of it and eat a nice pudding at the same time. Ain't done. He said, if you could find a man free from vices, you'd find a man not worth meeting. All got something there. My bookshop trade is failing If it wasn't for the continual support of local public libraries, I couldn't pay my way. I've tried so hard. I introduced good writers to Camberwell, but they will have none of them. I bought up a dozen copies of Bennett's Old Wives' Tales in November, and all I've sold is two. And both buyers said it's too long-winded. I dare not offer Walpole, or they'd die in the attempt to read him. They will have to sell to the public library after all. I put L.A.G. Strong, A. Huxley and new to me writer C. Morgan in the window. I mock them cheap but they won't buy them. Call them unknowns. They want LeCue, Austin Freeman, E. Wallace, Phillips Oppenheim, Nat Gould and they want Rita, Mrs. H. Wood, R.M. Ayres, Robert Keeble and W. Deepin and I cannot get enough of them. If it wasn't for augments like cigarette cards I sell old numbers to complete sets pictorial postcards, comic magazines, I do little shop trade. But I do sell a few first editions to the trade at just 10% of cost. Had a find last week of many of Wells' firsts, and Cambridge came and took the lot and paid me a very honest price. But one can always sell good books in the trade. 
I want to sell to the public, but they seem to want sexy novels and I will not sell them. This is going to be a bad Christmas for me. I won't stock Christmas cards or toys and make mine a bastard business. It's books or bust. Perhaps the fault is mine. I fear at times I'm short-tempered, but in such a tiny shop, two make a crowd, and I can't have a browser who just looks around for hours, talks, and then departs with no buys. I wonder if others, like me, depend on the trade itself, dog-eating dog. I met a rising generation this morning. Boy aged ten came into my shop for a deluxe edition of Westwood O, a real beauty priced at two and sixpence. The kid was a real urchin, so I wonder where he got his two and six. And with some threats I got the information, he pinches it from little girls sent on errands, and then threatens to bash them if they tell their mother it was stolen. Got to say it rolled down the drain. I gave him a tasty bash, but hell, I've lost a customer because I refuse to sell. And now I expect I shall have it on my hands for months. The way of a bookseller is often difficult. Did I do the right thing? I don't think I shall ask the next client where he got his money from. 1932. Willie Moore gave me a nice grand circle front row seat to view his new play tonight called For Services Rendered and nicely put a note in with the seat for your services rendered, Ray, bibliography. Flora Robson had the miserable lead in the miserable play, and the lady on my right had a bloody good cry during the last quarter of an hour of the gloomy play, and I must admit I was nearly crying myself. Surely WSM don't have to be so bloody blue. Life is sweet, and we go to the theatre to be entertained and amused. I've had a miserable night, and yet it was a splendid play, and Flora Robson was finely cast. She always seems at her best when she's making the audience thoroughly unhappy. Does she enjoy wailing? I must ask her. WSM wanted me to have supper after, but, but I declined because of my clothes. They would have disgraced him. Ain't it strange, really strange, I have but one suit in the world. It would have cost him 50 shillings for my posh supper, and I could get such a nice suit in Woolworth for 50 shillings. And because of my lack of a tidy suit, I declined the invitation. Edgar Wallace, most human bloke I met till I met Willie Maugham. It was the first night of one of Wallace's plays at the Apollo, at a time when all he touched seemed to turn to gold. But I considered it a very poor play, could easily have written something better myself. I was friendly enough with Wallace to go up to him and tell him that I thought it was a dull and uninteresting play which wouldn't run a week on merit. In fact, I said, I bet you it doesn't run ten days on merit or anything else. Bet you two and six against a signed book by you. Is that on? He nodded, and we shook hands on it. Play ran for five days. He must have lost a packet on it. Fifteen days later, when I saw him at another first night, he came over to me and asked me to go to his car with him. I did so, and he got out of the car a signed copy of The Flying Squad, his latest book. He said, you win, on the title page. Amid all his work and all his troubles and worries, he remembered a bet made with a galleryite nobody. My landlady says, all men are funny. Why don't they come at once when they're told dinner is ready? The question is one I don't deign to answer. Instead, I countered it with another question, since my married friends all tell me it's not wise to argue with a woman. All women are funny. Why do they shout that dinner is ready and breakfast, tea and supper when it isn't? isn't ready and not anything like ready 
My landlady does it, so did my mother and grandmother, and every wife of every husband I know. After hearing the cry wolf so many times, can anyone blame men for not coming in from that absorbing little job they're doing the instant the false cry rings out, Dinner's ready! There's only one answer. Kitchens should be fitted with loudspeaker systems, and housewives should be trained to broadcast running commentaries over them in this fashion. Water's boiling, tea dough in the pot, tea's made, am now cutting bread, and buttered bread, now sitting tray, bringing tea into dining room, place it on the table, come and get it. This is the only answer. I've just learnt George Moore is dead. I wrote to him in 1929, praising a drama in Muslim, and asking for his autograph. He sent a three-page letter, pulling D in M to pieces and praising five other of his writings, and added an invite for me to go to his house for a chat. But I didn't take it up on him. As Bill said, GM was a fierce bloke, and right outside my element, and I'd be lost in his company, and all at sea. Still, I did get a three-page letter anyhow, which is more than some so-called eyebrows would condescend to send. I also like Esther Waters and The Untilled Field, but none of the others. He certainly knew the right words for the right places. Today, I had cranberries for the first time in my life, and they were lovely. I must get Gloria Swanson's autograph, actress. Yesterday, I had a busman's holiday and went to Sotheby's for a treat. There was a first folio in the sale. It had some defects, but it made 2,800 quid. This was Vernon Arcourt's copy. I nearly bid 2,000. Not that I've 2,000 pence, but just for the sheer thrill of seeing what it's like to be 2,000 quid. But my courage failed me, and Mags did it for me. Earlier this year, a first folio made 14,000 quid. A USA buyer, of course, but it was a lovely copy. Still, I wouldn't have minded owning even a defective one. This is the same Mags who paid £205 for a first edition of Omar K with the original wrapper printed in 1859. What profit can he expect to get? Prices are getting fantastic. In April, 125 quid was paid for the sixth edition of Pilgrim's Progress. If it was in my shop at two and sixpence, it would be refused. Yet it made this price at Sotheby's. There's more to learn about the respective values of old books than the value of the old diamonds. I'm saying that at a hundred I shall still be a learner, but I did enjoy my holiday at Sotheby's. Tonight I went with my mother as Morm's guest to be present at his first night of Sheppy at the Vaudeville Theatre. He gave us front row circle and we sat next to Morm's Swiss Valley, who turned out to know me quite well, and we had an interesting chat. I will put it upon record that I now know what is meant by a gentleman's gentleman. I didn't before, because Morm's Valley is a gentleman's gentleman, and very much a gentleman, just as much a gentleman as his master. 1934. This day I received 21 shillings for a short article in the Book Collector's Quarterly, edited by D. Flower and A.J.A. Simons. This is published by Castle and is a proper high class. In fact, the highest class high class I've yet pushed my nose into. It was in this quarterly that a person named Muir, probably Scotch, severely reviewed my Mormon bibliography, so I thought I'd present its readers with a few more Mormon first edition points. But I've only got 21 shillings, 
21 points of exclusive MORM data, this is the last time I will ever reveal bibliographical pointers for cash. Next time I'll give them away with the bibliophile's regards and appear generous. I had a tiny thrill today. In the clique, Frank Hollins was advertising for a copy of my MORM's bibliography. I closed my shop and took a copy up to them on the bus and at once they paid cash for it and ordered another and from my little case I brought forth another and they paid cash for that as well at seven shillings each so I got a thrill and a sale as well. Happy days. This day I bought at Watford a large collection of joke books going back to 1760 about 200 for 10 guineas a good buy. They're really unique. I can place the collection at 50 shillings profit tomorrow with a London man who sells jokes to comedians and makes up their scripts. Later, I managed to make a £4 profit on those books, which also included books by H. Lauder and T. E. Dunville. They were the best lot of joke books I've seen yet. I showed the buyer a receipt, and like a good sort, he made it out for four quid to me instead of 50 shillings, and once more. Today, I bought four of Ian Hayes' works. They're public library sure sellers. I'm a reading Robinson Crusoe, and it's still fresh and enjoyable. Notable event today. I proposed to P and got rejected, not because she didn't love me, but solely because I'm not an RC. My God, women. Delightful letter from Arthur Rackham this morning, listing much of his work that I've missed. There really must be a Rackham bibliography. I can't do it. Too busy. But it's a must for someone, as the art of Rackham will live forever. I must bet on a bitch, Melksham Josephine, this week. She's been off colour, but is fit now, and on previous form, she has three lengths in hand. She's as certain if she doesn't get knocked over. If she gets home, I will have two days at the South End on the proceeds for fresh air. I've been told today a literary secret although why the ick it's a secret is a great mystery. André Morois is not André Morois, but is in reality Emile Herzog. And his dad owned a factory what makes cloth in Alsace. What I can't see is why he wanted to change Emile to André. Ain't one just as good as another? Morois has been Morois since 1917. Now, 1931, I suppose he's forgotten Herzog. Well, it's an improvement... The more war for Herzog, anyway. James Agate reviewed my gallery unreserved in the Daily Express and didn't know who the Anon writer was. I felt it wouldn't be fair to tell him. I merely sent him one and inscribed it to a fellow first-nighter. His review ended with these words. A galleryite makes no secret of the fact that his daytime occupation is humble and the chapter is entitled The Beggar's Theatre is good enough to suggest that he will do better in his next book to tell us less of his evening and more about his daily experience and pluck the art of that mystery is his worth doing. He can do it and we shall read him with interest. Well, it was pretty good and a kind review and it's rather strange that Agate, who told me to keep a journal, now pretty well tells me, without knowing that it's me, to reveal my journal and pluck the art of that mystery. But there is surely no mystery in how a slum bookseller tries to make his living. Would the world really be a scrap interested to know that I buy incomplete pages from comics by weight, then spend hours and hours putting these odds pages together so as to make a complete comic, to sell at a penny each? 
or that I buy bashed to pieces copies of Trilby, first illustrated edition, and spent hours and hours taking pages from one and pages from another until sixteen battered ones become four or five sound and tidy copies. Or that I buy newspapers by the hundred weight, cut out all the boxing data, stick those in albums and sell them the albums to fans with a great deal more money than sense. No, no, Jimmy. My life is my own. No one would care to read it. That was part five of Fred Basin's Diaries, brought to you by The Book Collector. It was read by Clive Farrahar and sponsored by Adrian Harrington Rare Books of Tunbridge Wells. If you enjoyed it, why not consider subscribing to The Book Collector, a quarterly journal in print and online for all those who take pleasure from books. Thebookcollector.co.uk has all the details. 